So hi everybody, welcome back to the show. This is the New Era of Property podcast. Hello Lorraine. Hello. We're in a different setting tonight. Did you hear that? That was my dog just grunting. <laughs> she's getting to about 10 years old now and she's just suddenly started grunting for no particular reason. It's she is, very strange. I know. So we're sat at home tonight. We're actually on the couch. We've got two dogs in front of us and we've got our kids upstairs and so anything could happen. Anything. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about holiday lets, I think, today. Now, in the news today, we've got a report that says search demand for holiday homes in South Devon has risen by as much as 100% in 2021, suggesting a record year for the self-catering industry in that area. But it's not just South Devon. Now, over the last... I don't know, six months or so. I've been reporting on reports from Property Investor Today and news all across the country that, did you hear that again? She just grunted again. She's just done it because she wants to be on the podcast. (laughs) So locals are getting up in arms because people are coming in, they're taking up the housing stock and a lot of the time they're not actually staying there they're not renting it out and it's just lying dormant so what are what are your thoughts on holiday let serviced accommodation style properties i know from a, a perspective from a property investor we get to obviously you know see the cash side of it but what about the people that have to live in these areas well oh that's opening a can of worms isn't it <laughs> I, there's lots of what do I think what do I think well I think um, people and businesses should uh, be allowed to evolve that we should be allowed to find our way and a new kind of era literally of um, this is that a shameless plug it well no it wasn't <laughs> supposed to be but it obviously was so I think people should be allowed to operate their businesses and not have so much regulation, so much interference from the government trying to intervene. Now, everybody's going to shout me down and say that, you know, what about the people with the local homes and the local properties? But I read a really interesting report in the Cambrian News talking about... the what news? Cambrian News. Cambrian. Yeah, so it's a Welsh um, Welsh publication um you can get it online and about the tax plans that could force a lot of businesses to close in wales and they were just sort of surveying asking local businesses what their thoughts were now a lot of these local businesses have a seasonal business based on tourism in that area and if they don't have the tourism coming into the area they aren't they're going to lose business. And they were talking about the the Welsh government are proposing to increase some of the council tax bills by up to 300%. Right. But that, okay, yes, for holiday lets. Yeah. Yes. But if they are occupied by more than, I think it's 50%, then it's just going to be standard council tax. Is that right? So unless they're able to register for business rates, they have to make their property for available for at least 250 days and actually let it for 182 days. There was some concern, essentially, that a lot of businesses wouldn't be able to reach this milestone because, particularly in Wales, they have the six weeks of the summer holidays, two weeks of Easter, the May bank holiday, the October bank holiday, and two weeks of Christmas. So we're talking about, what was that, 13-odd weeks uh, of peaks sort of attracting tourists to the area and then other than that they're kind of looking for sort of bonus weeks so they're not able you know when 
we talk about that, we're only up to what, 120 odd days potentially. So a lot of businesses could miss out simply because they're setting the standards too high. Mm. Um, and I kind of understand the the reason why they've set it 182 days. But do you think it's going to put anyone off anyway? I mean, double council tax is what, I don't know, let's say it's going to be £3,000 a year. If you've got enough money to buy a second home, do you think £3,000 is going to put people off from going down that road anyway? It's a bit of a toothless tiger, I think. Well, it could be, but I, I just think it's not encouraging the right the right businesses to come to the area. And, you know, I, I sometimes think that we, we we forget that a lot of our economy is built off businesses. And if people don't have jobs and they have, can't, aren't getting incomes, then but how can they all, afford homes? I think I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate because it's not just about those holiday makers. Because, yes, right, if you've got a second home, you're going to be putting money into the local coffers. You're going to be spending money in the local pub, in the restaurant. Kids will be out spending money in the shops etc but what about these properties that are just left empty and people aren't using them well what about them what do you mean well i think as you know the, the locals are getting up in arms surely then when these properties are being left open people are buying them as second homes but they're not using them or even if they are using them if you're a second homeowner yourself are you actually going to be contributing to the local economy or are you going to be just you know, sitting at home and not going out at all. Whereas if you're going to be Airbnb-ing the property, then yes, it's going to be bringing money into the local coffers and supporting local businesses. But if you've got a property that's lying empty, then I can see why it's causing lots of controversy and preventing people from buying houses in their local areas where they've grown up and pushing people out into surrounding areas and moving further and further away. And I think there are local communities now that are worried about language as well, certainly in Wales. You know, sort of the Welsh language is a dying language and because of Airbnb style... How dare you? <laughs> Airbnb style properties, then people aren't moving in. So there's no need for them to, to learn the Welsh yeah, language. But, I mean, how far do you go? Um, do you start talking about... Well, to Wales, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I know of a bungalow in our village actually that i don't think has been lived in for maybe 10 15 years is maintained as you occasionally see the odd person and that's there. the problem isn't it but you know where, where do you stop though you know you've got a four or five bedroom house so why and would you, you buy a property on. let me finish <laughs> we're on this podcast as husband and wife we're starting a little domestic now but i just think if you've got a five or six bedroom house and you've only got two people in it, then how should you be, you know, that's the same thing, isn't it? As having a house that's empty. Well, no, because you've got people that are living in the property as their main residence. So local people can buy houses for local people and they can live in the village that they grew up in. Whereas a property that's lying empty is not serving anybody. It's taking up housing stock and pushing people away to buy houses elsewhere because there's none available in their villages where they want to live. Yeah, I get that. But I just think that it's kind of, you know, when you start interfering with demographics and people's lifestyles and what people are doing, then you start affecting like the capital and the economy and the culture. It just doesn't seem to me to be fair but is this a case of not in my backyard 
You know, I mean, if we were living in a nice little rural village and we wanted our kids to grow up in the village and then move into a house in the village and then found that there were no properties left because they were getting gobbled up for people as second homes, which side of the fence would we be on then? Yeah, but let's face it. I mean, we've talked about potentially retiring in our in our holiday home, which is on the Welsh coast, but we both know that doesn't offer lots of opportunities for our kids and actually if you mm. have if you've got young children you know do they really want to live in an isolated area well where, some do where potentially I think a lot of children are looking for the opportunities they're looking to meet people they're looking for communities they're looking for connection and that's what drives us as human not beings not everyone though not everyone's looking for that connection you know some people want to be with their family they don't want to f- fly the nest too far some people want to stay around some people want to stay in the village that they well, grew up in. Yeah, and I don't necessarily have that perspective because that wouldn't be my wish is to take um, our kids to an area that potentially doesn't have as many opportunities for them, um, that doesn't have the the facilities, the local, uh, you know. Well, but you're speaking very subjectively from your own point of view. I am, yeah, but I... I you know, I can only do that, can't I? I can only speak from my own point of view. I can see your point, but I don't necessarily agree with it because it's just how I feel. I, I'm kind of on the fence with it. You know, I am 50-50. We've got serviced holiday lets, but when people start to bring the argument up of dying languages and not bringing money into the economy and kids not being able to afford houses that they, they lived in the village that they grew up in, etc., I do see the point. But I don't think by charging double council tax or some areas are putting Section 106 payments in, whereby that there's going to be a, a charge or a restriction on the property that doesn't allow any developers to buy it or second homeowners to buy it and only people from the village can buy those homes, yeah. which is a great idea and a great incentive for homes that are struggling with this. But I don't think by preventing going on to business rates and doubling the council tax is going to be a big enough incentive to prevent people that can afford to buy second houses anyway to stop buying them yeah and i think with with that you you kind of i I understand where you're coming from but we have to be open to different scenarios don't Mm. we yeah so where do you think it's all going to go do you think there will be more regulation or do you think it's just going to be very localized do you think i mean very often we always well not always but we pick up where wales sometimes set the standards as do scotland set some standards and then we kind of hang on the shirt tails of those standards and implement them into england as well do you think this is something that we're likely to see on in england anytime soon um, I, I don't think so. I think, you know, I'm sure the Cotswolds have a fair share of London um, escapees as such, you know, weekend retreat people who who buy property in the Cotswolds. I think even David and Victoria Beckham, don't they? They own a house in the Cotswolds. And yet um, I know this weekend they're over in Miami or somewhere doing um, something else with their family. So you, you can't you can't criticise people for wanting to own property and investing no. in their local areas. I, I think where... Yeah, but very often they're, they're, they're not investing in their local area. That's part of the problem. So people are coming from outside the area to invest into these yeah, areas. Yeah, but they, by becoming second home residents there, they come and spend money. They renovate their properties. They 
boost the local economy from that point of view. Well, that's what we were talking about before. Maybe for a short period of time whilst they're renovating the property, but then it stops. Because I don't imagine Victoria and David Beckham are going to be spending more than, what, one month or two months out of the whole year in one particular area, especially when they live in the States now. Well, I think they actually do live in the Cotswolds now, but and I know they've got her property in London. Do you? I thought they lived in the States now. No, I don't think so. I think they do live in the Cotswolds, but they. I'm um, just saying, you know, they're out of the country now. Help them. They might out of the country for a month. They live also have property in London, which I think there's some kind of planning issue with, or they're doing something to that anyway. So wherever they are, they've got empty homes at, at some yeah. point in time. Uh-huh. So you know who who should d- double the in, the rates? Who you know should it be London or should it be um, the, the, the Cotswolds Council <laughs> or you know who is where is the second home? And maybe that's an extreme case, but I'm trying to demonstrate the point that I think. I don't know what the threshold would be on that, which would be deemed as your main or principal residence. I'm sure that I think we perhaps need to do some research on that and bring it to another show to say that your main residence needs to be lived in for X for it to be classed as your main residence. I think HMRC would start counting, make you count days, Mm. particularly in the case of Victoria and David Beckham, who are earning quite a lot of money. You know, they'd want to work out where they're, domiciliary country is because i think and what if they sort of what if david lived in one property for much of his time whilst he was working and victoria lived in the other well <laughs> yeah. tax avoidance <laughs> i see um rishi cynic's wife has been yeah i've seen that um accused of uh, avoiding tax by claiming non domiciliary mm. exemption because she's, anyway we've digressed we have we've moved over but anyway yes we're talking about david and victoria um okay so back to service lets okay so i think that i have played devil's advocate i do get both sides of the fence on this i really do because i don't think that you know if i wanted our kids to grow up in our village and they couldn't simply because most of the homes were being snapped up for Airbnb style lets. And I think I would be a little bit annoyed. And I think you probably would be as well, to be fair. They were pushed out, you know, five miles or 10 miles because they couldn't afford to buy where they grew up. I think it would be something that we might have something to say. But the shoe on the other foot, we do own service holiday lets ourselves. And it's a brilliant strategy. (laughs) Can I say that? I've just turned complete circle. But the thing is, like, you you made me think when you were just saying that, that uh, we live in a a city that is growing, that's developing, that is able to continue to build Mm. um, and actually provide affordable housing as well as, um, you know, homes being renovated and providing um, service lets, holiday lets. Because I would actually say that, you know, to have a service like holiday let, you actually want something with a bit of character, something a bit of period, a period property. Yeah, but these coastal, ho- you know, coastal holiday type lets, you know, these are small little tiny villages, many, and they're not, they haven't got exactly the infrastructure to be able to build any more houses. No, but I, I think this is where you know, particularly the Welsh government and the Scottish government do have very much any sort of a not in my backyard type scenario and. You know, when you look at the economy as a whole, uh, Wales have, um, I just looked it up online, they have a 
generated tax revenue of 27 billion and this is 2019 stats so i don't know if we've got any more up to date ones but which is around 36% of the uk's gdp and has an expenditure of 41 billion so they have a deficit of 13 billion so they're always looking for revenue streams to prop up mm. um their net loss as a fact you know in terms of tax generation so they're always going to look to the uk government for um, support around that and the fact that they can then create the local uh, rules that allow council tax to be charged and, and I, I did actually read that um, one one councillor I think it was from Gwynedd Council was sort of saying there, there are no other tools for them to use because essentially planning law is set by central government um, and devolved to local councils so the planning law is to establish and build a property without bringing an additional um, planning class or potentially limiting the number that, of days. Well, that's the other thing, isn't it, is this additional planning class. So, you know, that's always been a grey area. So currently at the moment, if you've got a, a normal dwelling house, which is planning class C3, provided you rent that property out to one group of people, then you can continue to do that. Yeah. You don't need to apply for planning permission. You don't need a license unless you're in Wales and you've got Rent Smart Wales, of course. Um, so you can just crack on. You can literally just do it. So maybe that's where this lies. Maybe we need this planning class. Maybe we need a, a C3-1 or a C3-2 or something to establish a serviced accommodation style Airbnb property. And then it would have to go through a local threshold test, very similar to an Article 4 yeah. direction. You know, if there's any more than 10% within 100 metres of holiday lets and you can't do it and it has to be kept for local housing stock or something similar. So that might actually be an option. Hmm. So maybe that's the route that they need to go down rather than trying to penalise um, financially by charging double council tax and preventing small business rates, a new planning class system. I think that's probably... Something that's going to happen it, in the future. <laughs> we've solved it. Yeah. We've solved it together. Yeah. That's what we're here for. That's yeah. the value we give on this podcast. <laughs> and I've got my dog grunting still. She just doesn't do anything but grunt. What we need to do is we need to put this to the test. So let's ask the audience. If you want to email me directly at rick.gannon at yahoo.co.uk, right? That's my email address. I'm going to ask you now, should we be allowed in England and Wales and Ireland and Scotland to be able to spend our money where we want to, pay our taxes and pay our stamp duty and buy a property lawfully and do whatever we want to do with it within the realms of the law. So that's number one. Or number two, should it be restricted to prevent the oversaturation of serviced holiday lets in certain areas to protect the local properties for local people. That's option number two. Please email me. I would love to hear your thoughts. I think Lorraine and I have solved it anyway. So <laughs> should we go and have a cup of tea? Yeah, let's have a cup of tea. Let's have a cup of tea. Thanks for listening, everybody. And don't forget to hit on that like and that subscribe button. And don't forget to leave us a review on the podcast because it goes a long way. And we'll see you on the next one. Bye. You did it again. Bye. Bye. <laughs> I don't know how to say goodbye. Try. Try a bit. Just before we go, don't forget, in the link in the description of today's show 
is an invite for you to come over to our VIP Property Academy. Now, the Academy is a massive group of like-minded individuals. So we've got about 400 people in the Academy that are investing in property. And we give you, as part of being a member, the following benefits. So you get to be a part of our community. You get to attend a two-hour mastermind session live on Zoom with me every two weeks. And you also get access to approximately 100 hours in total of educational content. And that includes rent-to-rent, purchase-lease options, serviced accommodation, quick start, HMOs, how to build a network of people that potentially could turn into joint venture partners and much, much more. Now, you can get involved in the Property Academy by going over to the show notes, clicking on the link, and you can get in for just £1 for the first 30 days. Then after that, it goes up to just twenty nine ninety five, and you can cancel any time. So I'd love to see you over there. And when you join, don't forget to say hi.